0: Hey guys, Roger Rickard here with another special edition of the Voices in Advocacy podcast, where we look back at our favorite conversations of 2021. I really enjoyed this one now with Gail Adams of the International Association of Geophysical Contractors. Now, Gail comes from an extensively high-level Washington, D.C. background and experience. And during this interview, She explains advocacy as an art and discusses what one needs to know about a person's real advocacy why. Sit back and please enjoy my fascinating conversation with Gail Adams.
1: Participate, engage, speak out, use your voice to be an effective advocate. The Voices in Advocacy podcast examines the diverse landscape of advocacy, Exploring the ins and outs of building influence, driving change, and creating champion advocates. It's now time for the Voices and Advocacy podcast with your host, Roger Rickard.
0: Hello and welcome to season three of the Voices in Advocacy podcast. I'm Roger Rickard, president and founder of Voices and Advocacy, where we work with organizations to inspire, educate, engage, and activate your supporters by turning them into effective, influential advocates. And this is the podcast dedicated to the art of advocacy. This podcast is for the people that work and engage in advocacy efforts for their organizations, be they corporations, associations, trade organizations, and non-profit cause groups. If you're one of the people that work to build advocacy and grow your community of advocates, then you're in the right place. Hey, let's get this thing started this morning. I am absolutely so excited about today's guest. I met this woman a few years back, and from the first moment we met, I knew that she was an exceptional, and I mean that sincerely, an exceptional talent. On today's show, we speak with Gail Adams the Vice President of Communications and External Affairs for the International Association of Geophysical Contractors. Now, Gail has more than 20 years, you wouldn't believe this, but more than 20 years experience in the environment and natural resources, public policy arena, and more than 30 years experience in public affairs, nonprofit organizations, and government affairs. She is the, now wait a minute, you're going to have to get this whole title going here. She is the former director of the Office of Intergovernmental and External Affairs at the United States Department of Interior, immediate office of the Secretary. Her responsibilities were to establish and maintain relationships between the Department of Interior with governors, state, and local elected officials, and more than six thousand stakeholders and organizations that represent the interests related to Interior. Prior to her appointment in Interior, Gail served as the Government Affairs Officer for the Deepwater Horizon oil spill on loan from FEMA to the United States Coast Guard. During that time, Gail received the Coast Guard Distinguished Service Award, the highest public recommendation or recognition given by the Commandant of the Coast Guard for her work on the Deep Horizon oil spill. Ladies and gentlemen, I could go on and on and on, but the show must go on. And with that, I will include Gail's full bio in all the show notes for you to take a look at. It is my pleasure to say hello to my friend Gail Adams. Thank you and welcome to today's show.
1: Well, thank you so much, Roger, and and, uh, I so much appreciate our friendship over the years, and um, I'm very excited to be with you today.
0: Great. Well, let's kick this into gear. I'm going to go way back then. You were a former news anchor and radio personality. Now, how did you then go from media to your career in government?
1: So um, that's... as probably with so many of us, uh, I really kind of fell into it, right? Because if I had planned it that way, there's no way it would have happened. (laughs) So um, actually, it was really interesting. I I did, I was, I did radio, television, and print for a lot of years. And um, when you do radio and television, a lot of times people assume that you know how to do other things, right? And I, (laughs) I was voicing commercials for for government officials and for, um, you know, political candidates and everything. So I did a lot of voiceover work and commercials. And um, a friend of mine who was a consultant um, to what was then called the National Conference of Black Mayors, he was a consultant to that the president for that uh, particular year, asked me to come on board and to help him to plan um, the Louisiana chapters, uh, their annual meeting. So I did that and um, they really liked my work. And so then um, the president who, who was the president then asked if I would consider um, partnering with my friend to become a consultant to the National Conference of Black Mayors. And so from there, I went from that. And, you know, of course I was in Louisiana and Louisiana doesn't have counties like other states. We have
0: parishes. Parishes, know yep.
1: I'm a Louisiana girl, and um, um, our county officials are not called commissioners. They're actually called police jurors. Why I don't know. It's Louisiana.
0: It's Louisiana. I love my
1: state. <laughs> love my state. And so then I became a consultant um, to the um, the Police Jurors Black Caucus Association um, in the state of Louisiana, and my my career path um, of governmental consulting and advising just kind of took off from there. Um, And I was very fortunate um, because I've always had a passion about trying to find a solution. Uh, To me, there should be no problem, no challenge, no obstacle that um, people from different factions have that we shouldn't be able to overcome with some reasonable solution. Everybody may not be happy, you know, get everything, um, uh, uh, you know, what they want. But if we can come to a solution where people can get some of what they want, I think that's a win, right? So I'm always looking for the win-win.
0: Well, that's government. I mean, and that's the way at least our government should operate in that you sit in a room together, you hash out what those differences are, you find the commonalities. You work together to resolve those commonalities in a way that make everybody walk out of the room and say this is the best uh, the best solution that we can put forward. And and, and I think all too often, uh, particularly for the laymen out there, they forget that that's the way it's really supposed to work.
1: Yeah. Yes, definitely. You know, there's a kind of an inside joke, and I used to uh, say it a lot. But uh, but to a, a a great extent, it's really true. And so you could gauge your success. Um, if everybody walked out of the room unhappy because nobody got everything, you know, that they wanted. So that's
0: success. That's, that's, that's very, very true. So tell me now, you are currently with the International Association of Geophysical Contractors, uh, and you play a very important role. Uh, tell us a little bit about the organization and what your role is in it.
1: So um, IAGC is what we call it for short because we realize the name is really, really long. But IAGC has a 50, Um, year history of representing the geophysical and exploration um, industry. And so, you know, we all are are familiar with with oil and gas and our our members, we have members um, on every um, continent, members in 50 countries around the world. Um, And everybody's familiar with, with oil and gas, but our tagline says energy starts here. And so um, the members of our association are actually the explorers, the energy explorers. So whether you're looking at oil and gas, whether you're looking at um, new energies or renewable energies, including geothermal, if you're looking at um, uh, decarbonization, carbon capture, utilization, and storage, um, the technology that our members utilize. is a technology that just about every energy source needs. And so our guys are on the very, very front end. They're the trailblazers and they're on the very front end of energy exploration. And so we represent um, our membership in advocacy. So whether it's governmental advocacy, um, we address um, issues such as the laws, policies and regulation We also address um, environmental policy um, and um, particularly in the marine environment because um, a lot of our members participate uh, and do marine operations. Um, And then um, uh, in the legal uh, aspect as well. And so we like to think of our advocacy as having a three-pronged approach. So we look at policy rules and regulations. We look at the legal ramifications and then um, because we do believe in being in good environmental stewards, we also look um, at the environmental leg to make sure that our members are on the uh, are on the cutting edge of innovation and, all, and and doing things in an environmentally responsible manner. Right, operating in an environmentally responsible manner, and so um, that's about the IAGC, and um, it's uh, it's uh, a really great. Um, organization of, of, of people who come together around those things, um, but are yet competitors. And so that's the beauty of, ha- of working for a trade uh, association.
0: Yeah, absolutely. Now, you said a couple of things that I thought were really important there. A, talking about the size and scope and where you're at from a, from a standpoint of all around the world in 50 countries, but you also brought up environmental. And with your background, both the work that you did with the Deep Deep Horizon uh, oil spill, uh, as well as naturally your work with interior, you play a really important role in being able to have, lend some credibility and legitimacy to your environmental stands that you take on that because people know that's where you stand.
1: Yes, definitely. Um, You know, the the wonderful thing that I discovered um, in, in working for this trade or organization, and as, it, you know, as people go to the website, they will see that you know, for, for us, the environment is a critical piece of what we do, right? And we want to care for our environment and we do care for our environment because that's how um, our members make their living, right? <laughs> they, they're out on the waters um, and they're gathering data um, for energy exploration for the entire world. Um, and 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 we also have members that do land operations. Um, but again, we that's you know we are members of the communities in which we live all over the world. And so um, we are very much committed and dedicated to the environmental aspect of what we do and making sure that we are caretakers of our environment. And it's it's so much so that, you know, few people recognize and realize, you know, right now, um, ocean plastics and ocean debris and ghost fishing gear are um, a huge problem all around the world in the marine environment. And so our members are um, one group of professionals that have, um, that have the capacity like no other industry um, can do around the world because they go far, far out to sea. And so they get an opportunity to see all of this debris. And one of the things that they do is they actually clear the oceans of debris. And then they, when they come back into port, they, uh, or they send you know, um, work vessels back to port to um, to bring this debris back on shore and then from there you know the debris a lot of it is being used now um, in other products and you know things of that nature and so our members get an opportunity to see this problem and we get an opportunity to help to address um, and alleviate the problem of ocean debris and so you know again that is such a critical part um, to what we do
0: yeah and I would imagine that they it even makes common business sense for them to do that, so that it doesn't disrupt operations uh, for them in, in the process. So, uh, you know, it's always it's always great to say we're we're good people and we do good work uh, and we care about things. But when you can combine it to it's in the interest of our business to do that, then that makes it a, a more solid argument uh, for oh, okay. everybody to participate in that. Uh, you know this. This podcast is about advocacy. Yes. And one of your skills is grassroots organizing. So before we go further, how would you define grassroots organizing?
1: So for me, um, grassroots means being able to get down to the level where I'd call it real people, right? There are real people everywhere. (laughs) I get you, though. Who are most affected by anything, right? Um, you know, because we have, you know, we have those grass tops, which when we normally think of it, we think of community leaders, um, you know, and then we have above that the governmental leaders, right? And that's a part is built into the structure of what they do. But when I think about grassroots, I'm thinking about you know the common everyday man or woman or or or, or child um, who is being affected by anything. And that's all of us, right? And so it's how do you get the people who are being impacted or potentially impacted by whatever it is that you're working toward, how do you get them to coalesce around a cause? What do you understand them enough to understand what's important to them to get them to gather around a cause? And I think that that's really critical. We talk about grassroots organizing. We talk about bringing people together at the grassroots, but at the core of that is you have to understand the people that you are desiring to work with. And so for me, that's what grassroots means. I I love talking to community leaders because I understand their role and they are gatekeepers to the people that are being impacted. And so I I love working with those community leaders, but I love it even more when they bring in the people who are being impacted by whatever it is we're looking at. And I learned some of my greatest lessons in grassroots organizing and, and getting people involved at the grassroots level during my time with FEMA. So, <laughs> which was, yeah, you know, cause I, I I started working with FEMA during Katrina and that was probably one of the most, well, that was and you know, up until that time that was the most traumatic thing to happen to a large region of our country. And um, so many people were, you know, impacted all along um, the Gulf Coast, Um, but even, you know, but they were people, we thought at the time, I thought, let me put it that way, I thought at that time that the Gulf Coast Um, was pretty homogenous, right? I thought, you know, for the most part, okay, they're either black and white people or, you know, whatever. So I thought it was pretty homogenous, but through my experiences with FEMA, I learned that the Gulf coast was very, very diverse. Um, All kinds of people coming from all kinds of backgrounds doing all kinds of work. And what I found was no matter what it was, we all were impacted in some way. And, um, and having gone through it, because I, I lived in New Orleans at the time and I lost everything that I owned, just like so many other people, it just gave me such a different perspective on the meaning of grassroots work and getting to the people who need the help, getting to the people to rally around a cause, helping them to understand. Um, you know, what FEMA was trying to do, because there was a misconception about that. Um, you know, a lot of people thought, oh, well, FEMA's going to make me whole. So no, FEMA can't make you whole, but here's some other things. What And then analyzing the gaps, because, you know, Hurricane Katrina was something that America had never experienced before, and we did not know how to manage it. And so being able to hear from, you know, those community leaders in hard-hit communities, being able to listen to the grassroots, the people um, that had been impacted, and finding out what their needs were, and trying to fill that gap from a government perspective was uh, just an invaluable um, experience for me.
0: Yeah, and and an incredible life lesson. So as you were talking about uh, grassroots organizing, it made me think of Uh, when I go out and I speak to groups, I will often ask how many people are in the room are a part of a special interest. And it amazes me how few arms come up, how few hands come up to indicate that until you start to say, "So how many of you have children, right? That's a special interest. How many have parents? That's a special interest. What about aging parents? What about dealing with, you know, uh, what about dealing with medical issues? And you start to go through this process, and more and more people put their hand up. So we all have special interests. Uh, and I know that that gets viewed oftentimes as being negative, but it really isn't. It's about self-interest. Yes. And it's about the things that matter uh, to oneself. Uh, and so I think you eloquently put that as you were then rolling in and defining what was happening with Katrina. And I will tell you, uh, I'm trying to think it was probably about a half a year after Katrina and I was in New Orleans and I went down into the Ninth Ward and uh, for anybody listening, if you did not see things with your own eyes, you would not believe what, what happened. And even at that point, things were cleaned up compared to what they were from day one. So I, I just hit my hat for the work that you did and uh, for, for working hard to try to, uh, to do the best you could for the people that were uh, affected in that entire region. Thank you, so, thank you. This is an international organization you work in. And in external affairs and in communication, uh, you have to advocate. And advocating on an international stage, what's different about it and what's either more challenging, or even less challenging than what you're used to with your experience at the federal level.
1: So um, definitely, and again, we're on every single continent and 50 countries, and so I think one of the the most challenging things um, for me has been, um, you know, if you're kind, of, if I'm, we're based here in the United States, and so prior to COVID, of course, we could always um, be able to meet, you know, with our constituencies and our stakeholders, um, in a more face-to-face, um, and, you know, and in-person, um, setting. Being international, a lot of times it makes it a, a, a little bit harder. Um, and the other, the other greater challenges, you know, is the, the, expanded diversity right of perspectives the expanded um, depending on regions where you are um, you know the expanded um, the fact that you have to have an expanded knowledge of your stakeholders because they're they're not homogenous they are very diverse um, uh, across you know just about any kind of Interests you can think of, right? And so um, their ideologies and their perspectives vary from region to region. You know, it's like if we're in, you know, um, South America, which is very, very different than Europe, (laughs) which is very different than Asia, which is different than, you know, than you know, in the Pacific region. And so having to understand that and learning how to communicate in a way that is meaningful across all of those, um, all of those diverse cultures and perspectives and everything has been um, probably the greatest challenge, but it's also the most rewarding, I, I think as well. And especially, you know, when, yes, exactly. You know, and, and when you're successful, you celebrate like, yes, you know, people really understand.
0: They got it. They got me on that one. That's great. That's great. So. Yeah. Being in charge of communications and that, are you responsible for developing your advocacy messaging strategy on the different public policy issues, uh, or you coordinate that with your public policy team?
1: So I am very fortunate to be able to work with what I think is one of the best governmental engagement uh, and and public policy people I would say in in in, in the world. <laughs> His name is Dustin Van Lu, and he is just fabulous, hands down. And so I work in concert with him um, on our public policy issues and being able to message that in a way that's meaningful to our, uh, our appropriate audiences. And in within the IAGC, and I mentioned this earlier that we take um, the environmental um, piece of what we do very seriously. And we are, if not the only Um, trade organization. We are one of very few that are in the energy space that we have our own marine biologist on staff, which is fabulous because I get an opportunity. Her name is Dr. Alex Lurero. and I I get to work with two of the best (laughs) in the business, uh, which is always really, really um, special. And so I work with them um, in crafting our messaging Um, and, you know, adapting our messaging, depending on who we're, who we're speaking with, um, to make it um, meaningful. Um, Because I think, you know, in advocacy, we can't ever forget that, you know, of course, we do say it in communications. And for me, coupling communications with external affairs is really great, because, um, you know, we say, know your audience, know your audience. And so, coming from the communication space, coupling that with the the external affairs piece of it and engaging with organizations and governments and everything all around the world has been really great. And they are fabulous in helping to do that.
0: So let me me drill down on that a little bit uh, with uh, with your organization. So let's say that you have a particular environmental message that you have and because of the diversity and all the continents and the number of countries and the cultural differences, I would imagine then, and correct me if I'm wrong, you have to create all these different pillars of how you communicate that through those different stakeholder groups, because what may connect in the Americas may not connect at all in Africa or in, in you know in Asia. Yeah.
1: You know, so a, a prime example of that is, um, you know, the role of oil and gas in our everyday lives, right? So if you live in America, um, you see the role much differently than if you live in Africa, so to speak, yeah. right? Because in America, we've, you know, for hundreds of years, we've had access to affordable energy. Um, and, you know, so when we think about what energy means to us is more kind of like we were thinking. Oh well, I need to, you know, be able to have lights, or I need, you know, I put gas in my car, and so I can because it's convenient or whatever, right? But in countries and in um, because Africa is a continent, and on continents like Africa and the countries with within the continent, you know, that's a much different perspective they have there, because for them, most of the, the African nations are not developed. They're not considered part of the developed world, and people are still um, cooking with, you know, cow dung. Um, they don't have access to electricity and things of that nature, and because of that, they suffer health issues um, and other things, right? Children don't excel as well in education because they don't have access to affordable energy and so for them having that energy is life or death literally right and so the the message that we communicate does have to um be modified based on who we're talking to and and everything and and the understanding of what energy is and what energy means Um, and you know for us in the United States it's a luxury right (laughs) it really is and you know, when we think about energy, it's really just to kind of keep our lives comfortable. But in places like Africa, it's their lifeblood, literally, so.
0: So when you talked earlier and, and you brought it up a couple of times, the cultural differences and diversity of who you are, uh, does IAGC engage your members in this advocacy role?
1: Yes, they do. So um, the the way that the uh, IAGC is structured, we have global committees and we have regional committees and we utilize our committees to um, assist us and support us in advocacy. So, you know, we meet with government officials, we meet with communities. Um, One of the things that our members do before they begin any operations in countries, they will engage with the local communities, A, to let them know that we're there to explain to them what it is that we do because a lot of people don't understand what we do. Um, and then we um, also, there are specialized um, stakeholders within regions, right? Um, so we work with fisher, fishermen and fishing communities, you know, commercial fishing communities um, because we are sharing um, the world's oceans with them. So we're all ocean users and, and there are other ocean users. So you know, the shipping industry, um, and so when we look at what it is that we do, we have to advocate and we engage with um, all kinds of communities, and, and especially especially those, um, those communities that we know that we will be interacting with in the world's oceans and, and, and waters.
0: So what tools do you use to keep these stakeholders educated and engaged uh, when it comes to being able to be within that community and, and to be the voice there for, for uh, the activity that's taking place.
1: You got frozen, so can you say that one more time the, the um, sound kind of went away?
0: You know, it's hard to be frozen in Scottsdale in the middle of the summer. Uh, <laughs> but yeah, uh, what tools do you use to engage with those stakeholders to, to help them become educated on how to communicate in the communities?
1: So one of the things that we do, we have, uh, I mean, just a ton of resources to to support our members in in various kinds of engagement, whether it's with governments or uh, local communities. And so we've developed those over the years. But one of the things that we do, um, we, a lot of them that our members use, uh, uh, if they use them a lot, we get those translated right into the languages of the countries because that's important. One, you know, it's like if you're in America and you, uh, you know, people want you to speak English because that is our nation's language, right? English or Spanish, which are the predominant languages. And so we do um, do that as well. We translate um, information. We have created a number of um, videos that explain our operations and what we do. We have animations um, that we have created. Uh, We have have presentations because, again, when our members go out and they are engaging with governments and communities, um, our presentations kind of explain our operations, how they work, what we do um, in terms of the environment and um, then of course um, educating and, uh, our members and keeping them aware um, a lot of our tools are included we do new weekly bi-weekly news briefs for our members because that's a part of it right because even within trade associations you have to, you have advocacy activities that happen with your members um, because you have to gather them in to help you to support them Uh, So we uh, do all of those kinds of things and we have fact sheets, a ton of fact sheets that our members um, can use um, no matter where they are in the world. And we've developed checklists like we have this really great um, tool called um, uh, the fisheries interaction checklist. Right. So when our members are going to be working in areas where um, commercial fishing is taking place, what are all the things that they need to do to make sure that the fishing community is fully aware that they're there and that they understand what we're doing. And so, you know, over the last three to five years, we have just created a plethora uh, of resources that our members can use to for, in their own uh, individual company advocacy, but that our, our committees can use as we go in as a group or a body um, to, to work with communities and, and with um, policymakers.
0: Sounds like you have a really big pool Yes. <laughs> so so let me go a little bit in a different direction because a because i know how you think uh, and and what you believe i'm going to ask you a question i've not asked anybody else yet but tell me why being an honest broker of information is important
1: so for me it is so important. I can't do anything I don't believe in, first of all, and I don't, and I won't, I, I, I just can't. Um, but it's important because, you know, people, the people that you work with, the people that you engage with, need to feel and believe that what you say is really true and it's credible, right? And so for me, to be able to give that assurance to the communities in which we work is ultimately um, important. Um, and it really kind of sets the precedent for everything else that you do within a community. Um, one of the, the big lessons that I learned from FEMA that I apply um, in my current um, job is, you know, a lot of times at FEMA, I had to deliver a lot of bad news <laughs> to people, right? Um, but the one thing that I always told them, I said, you may not like what I'm presenting or what I have to say, but the one thing you will always know is that it's true. (laughs) You could, and for me, that's important. You may not like it, but it's true.
0: And, and breaking, and breaking a bond, and particularly when you're dealing with governments all around the world, and you're dealing with the community stakeholders that are all, all a part of that once, once you break that bond, you can't get that back. And, and, that, and that's why I wanted to ask about the importance of being that honest broker. We know that if you're gonna be an advocate, you must be honest about it uh, because uh, you know you lie to somebody and they take that information out there, uh, they will never come back to you again. You've, exactly. you've, bro- you've broken that bond forever. What is the first thing that comes to mind as we're getting close to wrapping this up here? What is the first thing that comes to mind when you think of just the word advocacy? Support.
1: Excellent. Yes, support. I, because at the end of the day, um, you know, what are we advocating for? We're advocating to support something, right? It's, it's, it's supporting something. And I don't like to think about it in the negative, right? Because that I'm a very positive person because sometimes, you know, we can think of advocacy as being against something, right? I like to think of it in the positive and, and being a support. And, and the other thing is defending what you believe, right? Advocating for that thing, because again, um, it's about, being able to bring someone and why it is important, and why I think about it in a more positive light is, you know, bring, being able to bring together people who may be very different in a lot of different ways, but bringing them together around one cause that they all can fight for together, that they all can support um, together. And I think that that's the greatest, one of the big premises of even being in my, in the trade organization, right? I have, I represent, you know, very different companies um, from different parts of the geophysical and exploration industry and in a lot of ways, well, there a lot of them are competitors, but what is it that we can look at together that we can support, even though we're very different and even though we are competitors?
0: gail time flies with you and uh you've been an absolutely great guest is there any uh, quick final thoughts that you have or anything you'd like to add
1: well i would just like to say and you say it all the time so i'm gonna steal this from you advocacy is an art it's 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 you have to understand people you have to understand their perspective um, and they're real whys, right? Because a lot of people don't even themselves sometimes understand the real why. And so you have to help them to understand their real why so that you can get together around something, even though it may seem on the surface that there's no way they would ever agree about anything. And so it is an art and I love it. I absolutely love it.
0: I know you do. Dale, how can people reach IAGC uh, for more information?
1: Wonderful. So we have a website that just won an award. Yay. Um, It's www.iagc.org. And there they can see the entire team, our fearless president, Nikki Martin, and the rest of the dynamic team there and all of the resources that we have. So we invite them to really go there and take a look.
0: Wonderful. I uh, I don't know where to go. I'm just going to say this. I'm going to say that that wraps up today's great conversation with Gail Adams. I don't know about you. I could have talked to her for another hour. Uh, And remember, she is the VP of Communications and External Affairs for the International Association of Geophysical Contractors. Thank you, Gail, for being on the show today and all the best to you.
1: Well, thank you. And as always, it's a pleasure to see you and to hear that beautiful voice. We hope you enjoyed today's Voices in Advocacy podcast and look forward to you joining us again next week. To learn more about Voices in Advocacy,
0: go to our website, VoicesinAdvocacy.com.